and welcome. This week on Future Fix, I'm going to widen the angle a little bit. I'm going to get you to see through the eyes of a group of children as they take a close look at some of the plants and animals from their everyday surroundings. I hope you'll allow us all a little time out to appreciate the range of organic life, urban and rural, so closely linked with our own in so many ways. Would you throw me on the log pile cutter? Would you toss me to the steel saw blade? Listen to my leaves flutter. Hear my heart would break. I looked in on artist Sarah Lundy, who through Kids Own Publishing was firing up the group's creativity through wildlife. It's Green Futures, it's an initiative of Kids Own Publishing Partnership in conjunction with Cranmore Development uh, Company. The children that we have in the camp are kind of custodians of the environment. I suppose you'd have to say that the message that chimes through this programme is that noticing and respecting the wildlife around us is the first step in protecting our own world for the future. We're here in the uh, community gardens here in Cranmore, which also serves as a men's shed and hosts community groups. And it's nothing but flowers and colour and it's only gorgeous. So um, the Project Green Futures came about uh, through funding from Creative Ireland. And it's all about eco art, creative engagement. Simple things like clay, you know, chalk. Um, a lot of natural materials we find, like yesterday we were pressing plants in Dorley Park and identifying them. We'll be doing plant rubbins with them. So it's kind of learning about nature, but then making things with nature. I drink the rain, I eat the sun, I give the breath that fills your lungs, I hear the roaring engines thrum. Down at the science fair in ATU Sligo, marine biologist Dr Robin Barry told me how he went about making this interconnectedness of life real for children. I bring in lots of different insects and vertebrates like your centipedes, your millipedes, your ground beetles, your woodlouse, and we put them into bug viewers and the kids can see them. So we teach them about their importance in nature and how to help break down all the dead leaves and organic matter, but also how they're food sources for birds and animals, such as our badgers and our hedgehogs. And then any contaminants get into those insects, we also get into the other creatures. So we bring in um, the insects, we bring in different types of fruits and plants, and we bring in a ball of wool and we make a food web. What will eat the plants? What will eat? So we'll have the caterpillars and the aphids eating the plants. Then we'll have birds and animals eating them. And then what will eat those creatures? And then we say we come along then and we spray a bad chemical or we put out slug pellets. And it affects one or two creatures low down the food web. Then we break the woolen thread. And then that shows the kids how the ecosystem can collapse and the food chain can break down. And it's a visual um, example of how nature works. You might remember some of Robin's tips on edible seaweed from last week. True to form, he also has some very practical advice on using seaweed for growing. So we have our uh, bladder rack, we have a surrogated rack. So these are great for our seaweed bats, but they're also very good uh, natural fertiliser for growing our vegetables in our gardens. So what you do is you can pick up any of the seaweeds being naturally washed up onto the shore after a storm. You can leave it out then for maybe two or three weeks for the rain to wash any of the salts out of it. 
and then you can put it into your vegetable patch in the winter time and let it break down and decompose. You can and just put it in as it is. As it is, yeah, and you can cover up some soil onto it so it can, it'll break down a bit quicker and the microorganisms will help decompose it. And then what's released in is the nitrates and the phosphates then, which are natural growth promoters for plants. And also it adds a lovely flavour to your vegetables and your, and your potatoes. So they're really good for natural fertilisers. That brings us along very nicely to the subject of the veggies that make it onto our dinner plates. Now, this mightn't be something that you think too deeply about as you're picking them off the shelves in the shops, but perhaps we should. Certain growing practices that are used on a large scale have serious consequences for other kinds of organic life. For instance, in the springtime, they'll come in, they'll spray the glycophosphate on the land, they'll burn off all of the grass and all of the shrubs and any of the weeds that are going there, but then they'll come in and plough that field up and then they'll plant their carrots, their parsnips, their turnips, their potatoes in that soil. But of course, then those foods are going to absorb those, um, any of those contaminants that are left in the soil, which, do, which there are, and it gets in, then we consume, consume those foods, it gets into our system. But also you see then with the likes of wheat and oats, um, the barley, they will get sprayed during their growth as well with the glycophosphate. And also what we know now is they get harvested and in the warehouses they will respray it with the glycophosphate to keep the moisture content uh, intact and also stop any funguses or moles growing on the food. So we're actually over concentrating this um, with glycophosphate unnecessarily really and truly. And quite a lot of countries around the world are starting to ban those glycophosphates because we know they're carcinogenic and they lead to fertility problems. And they also get into the food chain because when it rains, lots of those chemicals are in the soil. We get washed into our water courses, gets into our freshwater ecology, affects all our little aquatic and vertebrate species in the rivers. It gets into the bird species, gets into the fish species, and of course they can get back into our bodies again. So it's a big issue. And we also know that um, from all the sheep dips in the past and things like that, um, the farmers then would suck them up and they'd put it in with the surrey and then they'd spread it on the land. And of course when it rains, those contaminants get into our water courses then, our surface waters and our underground aquifers. And it can contaminate those aquifers for long periods of time. Because it persists in the environment, it doesn't break down naturally very quick. Yeah, yeah, so that is the big that issue. That is the big issue, yeah. And it also bioaccumulates in the food chain as well. So then it biomagnifies as it goes up through the food chain. Meanwhile, at the Polytunnel in Cranmore and all along Dorley Park, the Green Futures workshops were allowing the children to develop their own sense of these interconnections, bringing them up close and personal with wildlife in lots of different ways. So today we have Sissy the Swan here and then tomorrow we have the owl, the long-eared owl, and we'll be making owl pop-ups, learning about the long-eared owl and how it controls rodent populations how it camouflages with the tree through the the design of its plumage different things like that and we'll be making our own little owl sculptures out of cardboard we're doing plant rubbings from the plants that they pressed flat yesterday the notion is if we instill or engender kind of an empathy for the environment in them at this age that they'll go forward into the future with an understanding of a the inextricable link of everything in the world and that it's vital to to keep the balance. So we usually are doing flora in the first part of the day, fauna in the second part of the day, except yesterday. We spent the whole day in Durley Park uh, on a plant hunt. A lot of flowers in a book. There was poisonous flowers. The fluffy uh, white ones and red berry ones. Poisonous ones are big ones, the long seam and the white flowers. 
told us like stuff about them. Like she told us stones that's poison. Me and Bethany was on a team, but we collected um, a lot. But at the end, all of our flowers fell out of the booth. I to pick them all off. I didn't believe when my granddad told me there is poisonous flowers, but there is. Yeah, we did. We went to the park, and there's a lot of weird names for flowers: bells, storks, stoves, all them weird names. And write it down beside the flower. I remember storks, bell, and the yellow pups. I think there was like ginormous flowers. There was lots of poisonous flowers, though. Well, there was a lot of butterflies in Dirley Park. At the summer, well, the very early of summer, there's lots of ladybirds. And on Monday, we had, I had loads of snails crawling up my arm. I didn't know snails could poop, though. And snails and caterpillars. Remember, we were collecting our plants yesterday, which are being pressed. So the next two days, we're going to be doing stuff with these in the first part of the day, then animals and birds in the second part of the day. So, today, I'm going to be using these flat plants. Now, I'm going to kind of lay them out. I'm going to lay them out on this, because I want to be able to kind of have a look at them. Tomorrow we'll be making prints and stuff, but today, we're going to do some rubbings, plant rubbings. So, basically, I'm going to say to make kind of compositions of plants, so as in, Put some plants together, like kind of in a flat bouquet, the way you think they look so good. Like, what if we make like, what if we make like a picture of like a field or something like a flower? Yeah, exactly, out of flowers. And then I want you to print that while you're doing rubbings on top of it. That's just sad. What is? <laughs> you're putting things made by wood oh, yeah. on their dead. Things that have been picked itself. by the ground inside something that's been made out of wood. Exactly. So a tree is a plant. These are plants. Paper. The book is a plant. Yep. It's <laughs> like crazy. Okay, so here we have all oh, our laid out plants. There's a lot of pressed plants. So I can uh, So many. You want to flip this over okay. and you want to put your plants here so you can arrange them. And oh, then so then I can draw back, over them. You start rubbing over them. And don't worry because I can take more out of that book, you know, as in don't, they, they won't be like getting all the best ones. I'm gonna have trees. Look at all three trees. Mm. Get different ones. <laughs> oh, okay. Put a white one, maybe. What? What dead did you call something? it? Ghost flowers. Ghost no, flowers. the land of what? The land of dead trees. Oh man. So well, it doesn't really matter because they're flowers and they're not trees. So. Uh, yeah, that's true. Where's flowers the, Where's the butter? Oh, nothing. So you want another page? My um, I just need a different flower. Bring it hither. I got a bigger white one. So perfect. Have you had to pop them? It has another like brighter button it's either pignut or cow parsley and then we butter cups and we have snow in summer as well like they don't have to be exact replicas any kind of quirks or you know yeah, bits. That's why I drew, like lines and stuff yeah deadly loving the way all these turn out the next step from flowers was bees and sarah explained their important role in sustaining such a diverse range of plants flowers and indeed our own food and illustrated how our survival is linked with theirs. So I brought in um, a perished uh, honeybee hive. So it was the honeycomb and the dead bees on it. So it's something that you mightn't get to see unless you visited um, 
a beekeeper and as we found out yesterday a lot of people have very a lot of the kids have very negative opinion of the bees so it's just kind of a very gentle but hopefully significant getting them used to bees and seeing that they're not that scary you know it's only through knowledge that you get to see that they don't care they're just doing their work they're great workers and they just want to get on with things so I just say buzz off bee if it gets a bit close so they were able to see the honeybees in on the comb but that they had died because there wasn't enough flowers kind of getting the message it's like what how did they all die did i kill them it's like no but it's a collective kind of um kind of misstep that meant that they died uh, and then i also gave each of them a honeybee in a little vial that they were to study and draw the bee in the vial so i was asking them to really look at them then i had a little bee on a on a line and they were each putting it in their hand and just looking at the body and seeing that it was a little animal that it had legs and eyes and fur and it wasn't something to be swashed away but actually something that was very um you know vivid and vital there's different ty types of bees there's honeybees and bees that look like wasps but they're bees they're in a big giant tub with honeycomb they use the honeycomb to put the honey in it and then they feed their babies that when they get the baby it was lots of looks like bubbles. The bees are on top of it. They were wasps, not bees. No, they were bees, but look like wasps. Uh, they only have one chance. Where to go from there? The next step for Sarah Lundy was a retelling of the story of the children of Lear. What were the swans when they flew up into the sky at the very end of the story? White. They were ghost swans, weren't they? And they were fady. They were kind of fady, yeah. Which set the stage for Sissy, a formidable mounted swan, who elicited a lot of reaction from the children as they soaked in all the details of her physique. So we're going to draw on Sissy, so there she stays. And can move her around a little bit here. So don't forget, you have a big swan in front of you here. Don't be drawing ones from your head. Keep an eye out for what she really looks like. She's got a huge big body. She's like a boat on the yeah, water. She's kind of fat. Yeah, she's like a big boat. Oh, she's the biggest bird I've ever seen. I've never seen bigger birds. But she has a fishing line for a neck. Look at this spiky tail. Big, big um, wings. Okay, so normal chalk. Everybody gets a bit of chalk. So what colour is this? White. White. What colour is your paper? Black. Black. What colour is your chalk? I don't have any. White. White. So when you start to make it all kind of mushy and you start to smudge it and then they turn into ghost swans okay nice work i see you're doing her spiky tail there good stuff so if no, you want to fill in all the feathers that could, that's when you can smudge up the best nice work guys they're looking very lovely and smudgy and ghosty i love no, the tail that's totally sissy the swan's I'm tail it's all spiky and kind of fluffy done okay <laughs> folks <laughs> This is what we're going to do now. Stop. We're going to make our very own mini sissy. <gasps> so oh, now we're doing 3D work. So are you all ready to make swan? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody gets a piece of clay like this, okay? Trick is, sissy is just like a thumbs up, right? She's a long neck and a big body, it's like okay? It's this way, no, it's this way. So, neck, body. See, it's already starting to look like sissy, right? So then you pinch out a beak, pinch out a tail. That's cute. No, See? how do you make the body more rounder? Of course. So you can use no, this to make kind of feathery have, shapes. So you're doing lovely work there. So if you make kind of feathers out of it. Why do you have Where's its beak? Remember, pinch out a beak. A little, a little skinny beak. 
Artist Sarah Lundy took a minute out to explain how her own family background offered her a surprising route to getting children to look at wildlife in a different way. I kind of have a, a strange but hopefully unique approach in that I, I'm a taxidermist daughter, but I also have studied plants and horticulture. So it's, it kind of chimes in with the theme in that if we don't act now, if we don't engage the younger people, if we don't instill the, this urgency, things will die. Live animals and flowers will be remnants of the past. But also, we were looking at the swans yesterday in Durley Park, everyone's saying they either have been bitten or know somebody's been bitten by a swan. The great thing about bringing in wild life is that it's always fleeting in the wild. You hardly ever can see it. So here we foxes, squirrels, swan, long-eared owl, pheasants, different things. And the kids can actually look at them, study them, and actually properly get to appreciate them and realise that they live in the same world we do. And that, you know, we have to protect it. And yesterday was all about what do the bees do? Why do we care? They're only creepy crawlies. And, you know, talking about how they develop the food that we consume. So it's just kind of engendering an appreciation. They, they really just took to it and they all yeah. wanted to touch them, you know, and look at their eyes and question, you know, did they have teeth and how was it done? And so I think it is um, a strange subject, though, the fact that they look alive, even though they're not alive anymore. But uh, it's good to get the curiosity questioned a bit, you know, um, especially, say, the fox, you know, what's a male fox called? A dog fox. And they're like, he feels like my dog. I'm like, yeah, he, you know, he, he is quite like a dog. And I always say to them, I'm not here to uh, to talk about pets because we can see our pets anytime. Not here to talk about farm animals. We're here to talk about wildlife. They don't get a chance to really you know physically engage with them and even if they do with something that is wild but kind of on the tame scale like say a swan in Dorley Park they're territorial and they probably have young ones that they're you know protecting so they don't really get chance to you know touch its neck or its beak or you know see how very big its boaty body is yeah I, I think with older people they were the last people who were actually worked on the land they know the animals in the environment they know the plants in the environment um, there was a relationship there. We've kind of lost that. So no matter what they're, where they're based, they all need to be reacquainted with it, really. OK, so I'm going to count down from 10, OK? When I get to number seven, I want you to put your open Sharpie on the page like you're about to start drawing, and I want you to leave it there. Then when I get to four, I want you to put your face up towards the sky. When I get to two, I want everyone to close their oh, eyes. eyes. Why? Why? Because you're going to be drawing blind. <laughs> Ten, nine, eight, seven. Pens on the page. Six, five, four. Chins up in the sky. I can't see. Three, two, eyes closed. One. Start drawing. Close your eyes, keep your eyes closed. You have 30 seconds to draw Sissy the Swan. And do I draw the do I draw the stick in Sissy's eyes? Sure, if you like, just, just keep look at it. Please. No, no, keep your eyes closed. You've been looking at her for ages now. Remember her little black eye, your big long fishing pole for a neck. Ten seconds. I'm Chin's in the air. That's it. Five, four, no. three, two, one. Open. Ha <laughs> <laughs>
happened? You've got lots of feathers in. The week really flew by and the final day brought the children close up to one of the most iconic mammals of the Irish countryside. One who's a common visitor to busy urban places as well. We have a red fox on Friday, Terry the chocolate orange fox. We'll be writing poetry because Robert McFarland has a lovely poem about the red fox. We'll be again working through pastels on coloured paper to, to draw Terry. And just again, it involves a lot of looking at the animal, you know, thinking about his environment because you want to draw it in around him. Where do they live? What do they eat? Do you ever see one in town? You know, just, just planting a seed of awareness. I am Red Fox. How do you see me? A bloom of rust at your vision's edge, the shadow that slips through a hole in the hedge. My two green eyes in your headlights rush, a scatter of feathers, the tip of a brush. Well, that magical flight of words clearly found its mark inspiring these creative children to evoke the world of the fox in their own poetry. Foxes sleep in the day and hunt at night. They live in dens and people give them a fright. A girl is a vixen and a boy is a top. And if a person is there, they hide under logs. From the fox that trembles to the light of day, to the vixen that comes out at night to play. The den is where these night hunters stay. And the den is where these cubs are kish may lay. You may tremble to the sight of the banshee scream at night. All for it to be the vixen that gives you this fright. The fox enjoys the chicken and hen as they bring them back to their den. They enjoy a tasty snack as they make their final attack. You may be scared but there's nothing to fear as Terry is as playful as a deer. He will even help with his every might even if it's his last night as he may be old but don't be tricked as his hens are carefully picked as me and terry say our goodbyes please don't shed a tear as he cries a fox in the wild a vixen cries the dog runs to find her the social winds pull the trees the vixen cries still going on and Well, I hope you enjoyed the wild world that has come alive in this little patch of garden in the heart of Sligo Town. And of course, it can do that for any of us that take a beat to notice when our lives rub up against that of the natural world. I think we might resolve to take a leaf out of the books of these inquisitive children. We made squirrels out of clay and then we went on a nature walk. Oh yeah, for flower books and just the scenes and the Woolly Park. Oh yeah, and then we did stuff about bees on the first day. They were fun. I heard that we can't live without them. Oh yeah, for food. Yeah, because they make the flowers and pollinate the flowers. The honeycomb, it was loads of like pentagons or hexagons. And it was yellow and there was loads of bees inside it and honey. They put honey when they collect it all. All that's left is to wave goodbye to our group of young naturalists 
by conjuring again the red fox through some verses of Robert McFarlane's magical poem, I Am Red Fox. I am Red Fox, when do you hear me? A scream in the night that stops you dead. Dark, torn from dark, a bolt through the head. My sorrowful love song howled to my lover. My trash can clatter from twilight's cover. I am Red Fox, where do you find me? In cops and spinny, ginnel and alley, for I haunt city as I haunt valley. Climbing the fell side, crossing the pass, walking the high street bold as brass. I am Red Fox, what do you call me? Shifter of shapes and garbage raider. Bearer of fire and space invader, taker of risks and riddle maker, messenger, trickster, curfew breaker. I am Red Fox. Why do you need me? I am your double, your ghost, your other, the spirit of wild, the spirit of weather. Red is my fur, and red is my art, and red is the blood of your animal heart. 